Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Wednesday, February 24th, 2010. We're sure glad that you're with us tonight. Kevin Johnson and Susan Manning, the authors of Online Education for Dummies, are here. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good evening, all. Thanks for having us. We'll see how well you collaborate uh, in terms of uh, t whether one speaks first or you follow or, or we'll even give some promptings and cues. Uh, you should collaborate quite well, I would imagine, after writing a book together. Futureofeducation.com is sponsored by Illuminate, my paid job at Learn Central. It's a free educational network, a um, place for educators to gather and to use Illuminate for free and to uh, connect and find others who care about the same curricular or pedagogical interests that you have. I sure hope you'll come in and uh, give it a look. Coming up on conversations.net and thefutureofeducation.com tomorrow, Susan Patrick from I May Call. Going to, she'll be speaking at the Q conference. We're going to do a little bit of a pre-conference uh, overview uh, and the, the things, the ideas that she's passionate about um, with regard to online learning. Uh, we'll take a break that next week because of Q, and then coming back, uh, Bernard Robin will start us off on a series with Merlot, the higher ed organization. Uh, March 10th, uh, the authors of Total Recall. Uh, Sharon Peters on Teachers Without Borders. Uh, we're starting a series on open source software with uh, the National School Board Association and their T plus L uh, group. That starts March 16th with a guide to this for the school technology leadership team on open source software. Uh, and on March 17th, another series starts, Education for Digital World 2.0. Those are going to be midday, half an hour shows. March 18th, uh, the 21st Century Skills Book. I'm sorry, March 17th, March 18th, we're going to have a view from the commercial side. Uh, these are two investors who work to build uh, commercial education companies. It should be very fun. Kathy Davidson on the 23rd, Bill Kist on the Social Network Classroom, David Hills or Ken Robinson on the 30th, and you can see there's more fun ahead there. Still trying to reschedule Shell Israel and, um, and should have some other fun guests. If we could ever get David Thornburg to actually give us a date, boy, I want to hear from him. Okay, uh, recordings. Uh, yesterday's uh, Henry Louis Gates uh, PBS show, um, Faces of America, that interview. Boy, that looks like a great series, and he was fun and personable last night as usual. So uh, do check that out. That's in um, futureofeducation.com and at Learn Central, the recording. Clay Shirky last week, Dan Pink last week. Lots of other fun interviews, all recorded and available for you to listen to if you haven't heard them. So we do encourage you to do that. If this is your first time in Illuminate, I want to give you a quick overview. You'll see the participant window. This is a chance to see who else is in the room. Uh, below that participant window are some emoticons that allow you to clap or smile, or you can even give a confused look or a thumbs down. The big button with the hand and the green up arrow is to raise your hand. If at some point you'd like to ask our uh, guests a question, you can take the mic by raising your hand. We'll give you the microphone. Before you do that, do go up to Tools Audio, run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is working well. You can send a message to the group as a whole in the chat room. You can also send messages to each other privately. There's a little drop-down box, but do know that the moderators see all private messages, so nothing's truly private. And I'm now going to give you the ability to modify the whiteboard. And you can click on the little wand with the red star at the end, and then click on the map to let us know where you're listening from. And you can also uh, do a shout-out in the chat. So it looks like a couple from Australia. 
delighted. Sure glad to have you listening. Tell us what time it is there. Must be Thursday midday, I'm guessing. I may be completely wrong. Hey, not bad. Those on the East Coast, I think you're expecting another storm. I'm supposed to be flying on Saturday to the COSIN conference, and I'm wondering how that's going to be. Hope hopefully that storm won't be too bad, and it will be done by then. <laughs> how fun. OK, so I'm going to move us right along here. And uh, this is a conversation with the dummies. That was very funny. Uh, Kevin prepared these slides. OK, I want to start by, before we talk a little bit about your backgrounds, I want to ask the question, are you getting some pushback because of the name? Are, are serious educators uh, saying to you, well, how, you know, how could we take this seriously if it's a book for dummies? What, have you gotten any response at all in this regard? I think, I think so, though no one's saying it to our face. Um, but I was, I was telling Kevin that I went and visited a local institution, gave them a copy of the book. They were very gracious in receiving it. But two weeks later, I got an email back saying, no, I'm sorry, we can't sell this in our bookstore, and no other explanation. And um, I think that it's because of the name. But that's too bad, because the other people who uh, have embraced this book and have laughed at it are very intelligent people who say, you know, when I need to know something, I go to the dummies book because I can get the information fast and simply and I get it. So I'm going to agree with you. I do like the dummies series. And the thought that occurred to me as I was going through the book was that you may not get, I mean, we get a variety of attendance in this particular event. So I would say that uh, tonight is, is maybe a little low. And that that's um, sometimes related to other events going on. It's sometimes related to the topic. But I actually wondered, would the people in our audience think, this is really not of interest to me because it's a dummies book? And then at the same time, I had the thought, OK, that may be a little bit of a short-term situation. But I've got to believe that you have created the perfect long-term book, meaning this is an area which is going to grow enormously. And, and while this may not play well with academics, my guess is it's going to play really well with everybody else. Kevin, you were going to take the mic. Do you agree? I do. And I think you have to also think about who the audience of um, this book is written for. Um, and I think the audience that we're worried might reject it based on the name are the actual instructors and um, academics. And the reality is, is is as much as we want the audience, those members of the the academic world to be taking this book, it's because we want them to be able to better prepare their students, who is the true audience of this book. And I think that is the audience that we wrote for. And I think that audience really appreciates the Dummies series and uh, is not giving us any pushback. And we have a lot of support from. Right. And if I can comment on something that Alicia just put in the chat, the idea for the book did not come from us. It came from the editors. They approached us about the idea. They saw the sweeping change in landscape and how many more online uh, programs were available to learners, and especially in light of the recession. This started in, um, I was approached in February of 2009. 
so you know less than a year ago really and um, and I had been asked previously to write other books that I frankly I said I don't have time and I don't feel like I have something new to offer so I'm going to say no but this one because it was a dummies brand I knew that um, our audience was going to be people who needed to come back to school and they were coming back to oh my goodness a different world and so we were writing a book that really was going to meet a need and was going to be recognized by the general public. And I didn't really think about the implications with the academic world. Um, maybe that was short-sighted on my part, but that wasn't my concern. No, and like I said, I actually sort of, as I thought through it, saw something of a little bit of brilliance in it. So you're probably both familiar with the Clay Christensen disrupting class predictions about online learning. Do you agree? Are we going to see that kind of just incredible growth? Oh, yeah. We're already experiencing that. Um, you know, and I take a lot of my, my data is anecdotal from the people that I interact with when I take my kids to school or when I talk to friends and family on the phone and they tell me, you know, I need to go back to school to pick up a couple of credits and they're telling me that I should take it online. What's this mean? And the general public is finding this. The general public that's going back to school, whether it's for ongoing professional development or because they want a new degree, they're being offered this choice, but they don't know what that means. And they need that basic information in order to succeed. Another interesting thing is uh, that um, colleges are with with today's economic times are unable to meet the needs of their community's growth in their physical buildings. And so they not only are students out there looking for uh, programs and that schools are actually looking for alternative ways to deliver curriculum because they don't have the physical space nor the money to create the physical space to meet the projected uh, community growth or population growth within their communities. And we've seen that a couple times here in the area. And um, as a matter of fact, here uh, in the Chicago area, there's actually um, a community college that is going to go to forced hybrid courses simply because they don't have enough physical space to meet the needs of all their students. And this is one solution that, that they're using. So. Um, there's kind of two sides to that coin, students' needs as well as institutional needs. Okay, well this is, uh, I'm curious to know from the audience that's here, how many of you have uh, bought or read the book? And use the green check at the bottom of the participant window to indicate that you uh, have seen the book or have a copy. <laughs> Let's give them that Amazon link. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to clear those answers. Okay, Lauren looks like she, she's the sole, sole one here. Okay, I'm going to clear those answers, and I'm going to ask the audience, given that explanation that we gave, do you, do you think that the decision to uh, publish the book under the dummy's name uh, long-term is a good thing? And if not, we'd be curious to have you put in the chat uh, what else you would think. I, one thing that occurs to me is I'm wondering if it might, if it might reduce your ability to 
uh, consult or being taken seriously by the academics, um, and if that had any impact, if that would even have any impact on you. That's a good question. Um, and um, my entire life is based on consulting. Now I've moved from the academic world and the corporate world to being an uh, educational consultant as as my life and my income. And um, I think you know again there there are two thoughts here. There there's the you know it didn't take you much uh, academic rigor if you will, to write the book in some people's thoughts. And then there's the other side of the coin, which is I understand that this was written for students. It was written at a practical level. And I really appreciate it. And a lot of the people that I have as clients um, are community colleges that are battling the fact that their retention rates right now are um, not very high in the online environment. And a lot of that has to do with their online students not being prepared for what is the reality of online education. And we've been able to um, talk to a few of those and have uh, more conversations uh, in the future on how this book actually can be implemented at an institution to really help students, which in the long run would help retention, which helps them keep students and, and make more money. So um, from that perspective, you know, I think it's okay. Um, not to get too far in the future, but we are actually writing another book, and it is geared towards faculty. And that, and the dummy's name has had an impact on whether or not uh, we want to uh, use the title or the dummy series um, to promote that book. Yeah, um, because this consulting is Kevin's business. He is more concerned about whether the dummy's title impacts that. My primary role is as an instructor. And, and that was my frame of reference when I wrote the book. How, what would I tell students, and what do I tell students when they come in, in terms of how to be successful? So I wasn't concerned that it was going to affect me in the long run. I see we have a comment in regards to it being a little snobbish to have pushback. And it's it's really interesting. I'm currently in a doctorate program, which I love. Um, but I've been told on a couple of occasions that um, in my writing, we're not allowed to say um, I. So we have to say this writer. And on, on occasion, at the very beginning of my program, I put this author instead of writer. And I got like this you know, extremely um, uh, direct email saying, you know, you're not allowed to use that. You're not an author yet. Blah blah blah. And it's a, it's interesting how some of my professors, um, you know, don't consider me an author now, while others embrace it quite, you know, quite well and um, realize what it takes to write a book. And I think those that have actually gone through the process and know what it takes to write a book. Um, no matter whether it be based on research theory or practical experience, what have you, they understand how much work it is and um, appreciate at that level alone, let alone the content of the book. Um, Kevin, you just said something that reminded me too when you said it's not research-based. It's not like we made this stuff up. You know, we, we weren't concocting it. There was a certain amount of going out and fact checking and uh, making sure that our information was 
authentic and legitimate. So although the dummy style is less formal and slightly irreverent at times, um, it's still a true story and you know I think it's very helpful content. Well, so let's, um, Kevin, you started to tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, would you kind of give a fuller picture and then maybe segue with how you and Susan met and decided to collaborate? And then, Susan, would you do the same? Sure. Um, my background started 20 years ago. Um, give me a smiley face if you have heard of or used Play-Doh terminals that were developed here at the University of Illinois but across the country. Ooh, Steve's used Play-Doh. Oh, great. We have a couple. All right. Play-Doh terminals, um, believe it or not, when I was 15 years old, I was fortunate enough to uh, offer to volunteer for Play-Doh and did some you know, data entry, which led to, um, at the same year, a programming job where I was programming Play-Doh terminals uh, for the University of Illinois. And um, when I went to school, I went into education. And so I was in California at the time of the dot-com bubble, uh, the dot-com boom. And it was a natural thing for me to um, start taking online courses, start transferring my course materials to the web. So it, you know, it was kind of syllabus by paper, syllabus by CD, to syllabus by web, um, and then eventually where my students were interacting. So I've been kind of doing this for um, almost 20 years. And uh, I moved back to Illinois to help take care of an ill parent and got connected with the University of Illinois, um, Illinois Online Network, where I was an instructional designer and taught online. And that's where I actually met Susan, fell in love. I took one of her classes. We've uh, meshed immediately. and. Uh, uh, within a very short period of time, actually developed a, a course together that we still to this day team teach. And uh, as they say, the rest uh, of our history was, or the rest is history, I should say. Okay, so Kevin starts out as this child prodigy, right? My story starts out as an old woman. <laughs> um, not exactly, but I did the very traditional route, finished my degree before I met the husband, before I had the kids. And you know, when you have children and you live far away from your family, you want to share photos and so I learned how to create websites and stuff. I was working as a literacy trainer and my boss said, I think we should move part of our training online go find out what this means. So I actually enrolled in the first cohort for this Illinois Online Network program. And um, my, my first degree is in communications. And so the act of writing and communicating warmly and yet intelligibly online was a natural for me. And the good people at the program spotted that and immediately whipped me into training and got me to teach for them for that program. And so that's how I came to online learning. And that was 10 years ago. And my children at the time were toddlers. And that was the only way that I could go back to school, was to do it when they were sleeping. So I developed some very unusual work habits, but they were effective for me. And I just fell in love with the idea that 
people could be engaged intellectually with the right facilitation. And um, so that's what I've devoted my life to for the last 10 years. And I teach for a couple different programs. And I focus on pedagogy and instructional design and skills that go along with that, whether it's in real time or asynchronously. About halfway through this journey, um, I did start to podcast. And I'm co-host of the Learning Times Green Room with Dan Balzer. And we have now, it's been going on for about four years, where we think out loud and invite our audience to share in that. So that's my background. Um, and because I, I met Kevin through my Illinois experience, and as he said, we, we taught together. When I was approached about writing the Dummies book, because I tend to work collaboratively best, I don't really like to do things by myself, um, I immediately turned to him and said, you want to do this? And he was available at the moment, and I suckered him into it. And no looking back. What, uh, what tools did you use to work together? Skype, Google Docs. Um, did we use anything else, Kevin? The phone? We did. We actually we used Illuminate a couple of times when we needed to share screens. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it was, uh, we, so you all know in the audience, we don't live near each other. So everything we did was from a distance. And to this day, um, almost a year and a half after this uh, journey began, we have yet to meet any of our editors or any of the publishing people. It was all strictly done from a distance, web conferencing, telephone, um, and social networking tools. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to interrupt just for a second here, Susan. The poor Math 2.0 folks have bounced around today for different rooms at Illuminate and uh, have landed here by accident. Um, not sure if it was my accident or theirs, but there you're going to see some information in the chat where they're trying to get to the correct rooms. And um, uh, Maria, please feel free to just keep talking to them in the chat. We'll ignore that as you get squared away. So don't worry about us. Uh, just go ahead and, and get yourselves squared away. Go ahead, Susan. Oh, I was going to um, say I remember um, quite a few moments in the early days where Kevin did have to say, We'd start a, a conversation in Skype, and he'd say, will you please just get into Illuminate so I can show you this? Because I wouldn't understand what was happening with a, oh, it could be a template or a font or something like that. And um, so that was a, a pretty heavily used collaborative tool in the beginning. Yeah, and, and this doesn't need to be a commercial for Illuminate. I certainly didn't mean that. I was just curious as to what, what tools you did use and how they, you know, they ended up impacting your ability to accomplish this task. I was fascinated that you uh, haven't, uh, Kevin, you were saying you haven't met anybody who, who were any of your editors physically? No. Um, as, and it's interesting because, um, you know, we have some, such a um, online persona, both of us. You know, our pictures are everywhere, our voices are everywhere. We don't even know what these people look like. We have no idea. We've talked to them on the phone. But um, we've never met in person. We don't have images of them. Um, but at the same time, we know about their families. We know, you know, one of our, our editors right now is off uh, having her first baby. 
And um, so we've been able to build these relationships all from a distance, which has been amazing. And I think uh, together as a, as a, um, a team, and, and yes, um, I am so thankful for all the work that Susan did and um, know that it, it was a lot of work for both of us, uh, but it took an entire team to, to put this together. And you do not know how much we appreciate our editors in that. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's been an amazing journey. And to be able to build those relationships from a distance and build such an amazing product, I think, is uh, speaks wonders for uh, distance education and distance learning and distance technology tools. Yeah, you know, when we're training our students, we talk to them about the value of being able to work collaboratively in groups. And they kind of glaze over, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're living proof that work gets done that way, that you don't have to be in the same city as your coworkers. Um, there was one moment I remember early on. I had never had somebody send me a Word template before. And I really wasn't sure what to do with it. And this was probably one of the times that Kevin pulled me into Illuminate and showed me. But it wasn't behaving as it was described to me that it should. And I, I thought, I am not going to be able to explain this to the editor in Indianapolis. So I just made her a Camtasia movie so I could show her, this is what happens when I click here and whatnot. And I emailed it to her. And she wrote back, I've never received one of those before. So it's kind of fun when you have the tools at your disposal that you can show people what you mean and use the technology to your advantage. And I wanted to add, we had um, one of the courses I teach is on writing. So I'm always teaching my students that you have to organize well before you start writing. And it took us, what, Kevin, six weeks to come to agreement on the table of contents. But then we only had four months to write the rest of the chapters. And so although technology was a part of this, it was really a lot of self-discipline to stay up on those deadlines and to keep ourselves going to, to get the book written. So I, I, I want to kind of delve into kind of the ramifications that you're seeing because of online learning. And one of the things that occurs to me is that I can remember being told you know, when technology was moving a little bit slower, that it would take the generation who were using the technology to actually grow up to start seeing it implemented in really transformative ways in business and in life. And it feels like that's been enormously shortened, that all of a sudden now a technology comes out. And, and because of the rapid ability to communicate, to prototype, to experiment, and then to give feedback, a lot of the social networking kinds of things, that the change is taking place very rapidly. So let's, can we look at online education from that standpoint? And can you tell me, uh, maybe Kevin, start with you, what really big things are you seeing where you say, I can see this five years out, and, and my guess is most people don't even realize it's coming? Well, that's a good question, because I think um, for me, um, both as a, a a business person and as an academic, um, I see um, the collaboration tools, even though we kind of use them now, uh, like you said, there's a lot of people out there that don't know what they are, um, are a little nervous about using them. But those social networking tools, conferencing tools such as um, Illuminate or Skype or any of the other tools out there are really having a huge impact on um, communities, whether it be learning communities or 
um, business communities. For example, um, nonprofits are really feeling a pinch right now. Uh, I'm working with a client in California where they're used to meeting face to face. They come together from you know all over California, and their budget just cut. Cut. So what am I doing? I'm actually teaching them how to effectively use um, even just the telephone conference or a tool such as, uh, similar to Illuminate to get their work done. Because what they, they, they started doing was just having eight-hour telephone meetings. Well, to me, that just doesn't sound fun. So we talked about strategies. And a lot of my strategies are exactly what I share with my students, the, you know, the pedagogy of learning. Well, that, that relates to meetings as well, and um, how much time and attention you have from somebody, and how you get them involved. And the more active they are, the more they're going to retain. And all these learning theories apply both in the academic world and in business. And I think um, the, the web conferencing tools are just at their beginning stages of what they're going to be uh, five, ten years from now. Susan, do you have any? Did you see something that uh, that you think maybe you see uniquely because of your work in this area? Well, it strikes me that our social networks that we use for socializing really are bleeding into education too. Things like Facebook or whatnot that it's now, you may have two identities, one that you share professionally and one that you share personally. And I don't have this part down pat yet. I don't really want all of you to know how often I play Mafia Wars or whatever that is. But I think that this is an area that we're going to be feeling out for a while because the students who are coming in are very familiar with having the personal and the professional blurred. Um, I see growth in more online courses offering real-time conferencing, possibly as an option in the beginning, maybe as a requirement, because I think we've had a decade of asynchronous learning, and we've learned that having that human connection, the voice, really does make a difference in terms of how students feel invested in the course and with their community in learning. So I think that's going to continue to grow. Um, and then the other thing that sort of fascinates me, and it goes back to some of the social networking and the microblogging, is this concept of microlearning and how tools can be used to effectively dis deliver really short chunks of content um, and what that's going to mean for instructional design in the big picture. So that's, that's kind of where my my blurry vision is focused for the near future. So do you think that online education inherently opens uh, our understanding or perceptions of learning in some way that will begin to transform traditional learning? Oh, definitely, without a doubt. Um, you know, it, although it was 10 years ago, I remember my initial reaction to my first online course was, wow, I am really more intellectually engaged and excited in this medium because I have a fair voice than I was in my entire doctoral program. Because believe it or not, I was a little wallflower. Um, I was in a program with predominantly men who were very verbally aggressive. So I never got to say anything. And I got the last, oh yeah, uh-huh, me too. And so, yeah, I think that this has really made a huge difference for the underrepresented 
learners. And that means that there are going to be more highly educated voices out there that are going to contest all of us, which is a good thing. So yeah, I think that's going to transform us. So it potentially changes participation. And you can see that actually having an impact sort of in the, in the physical classroom. Does it change power structures in terms of who's responsible for education? Do you think that uh, it's, it's bringing us, it's bringing more visibility to the idea of self-motivated, self-directed learning? I'll take that one. And uh, yeah, I think that it definitely does. I mean, I think if you go through um, a traditional model of education, you see, you know, um, teach, uh, students sitting at desks, teachers um, sharing information, students, uh, uh, you know, receiving that information and having to remember that information and then regurgitate that information. And now the the instructor's role. Uh, you know, especially in the online environment, is that the, the the instructor has become a facilitator, and the instructor's job is really to help the students, you know, um, create content and find content and give them the tools to do that. Um, but that that also takes um, a motivated students to get done, and so um, facilitation doesn't always, you know. It's not always about just helping them find information by sharing where they can you know, go, whether it be the digital library or a specific website, and giving them the tools, but helping them understand um, what it takes and being open and honest up front that this requires you to take initiative and you to be interested in being in this class. And it requires you know, time and dedication. And um, the the book actually really focuses a lot on you know the ideal quote characteristics of an online student and and we really focus on this student's ability to um, be self motivated and want to learn and be open minded and the instructor's role being one of facilitation and helping them by having the right resources ready and um, sharing experience and facilitating dialogue between the instructor and the students and the students and students, et cetera. So um, definitely changing dynamics due to online education. So Michael has a, a comment in the chat. Michael, I really appreciate your putting that in there. Uh, a study that found that teachers in a supplemental virtual school transferred many of the open-ended constructivist practices to their online, from their online teacher to their classroom environments. And this reminds me a little bit of the uh, things that we're learning about virtual worlds in which um, experiences in the virtual world translate into the physical world. I'm just sort of fascinated by um, maybe a little bit of this feedback that comes back from the new technologies back into traditional ways of doing things. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of online learning? And I'm wondering if it might help to also make a distinction between the K-12 and the higher ed pieces. Well, I'll take, um, maybe I'll take um, higher ed or um, Susan can also, <laughs> I have a two-year-old, Susan has two children that have both been through elementary school. <laughs> um, it's been a while, even though my, my actual master's is in curriculum instruction K-5, um, there's definitely pros and cons to both. And I think um, 
the self-motivation is definitely one. Um, and right now, there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a lack of support for those that are not motivated to take online classes. Yet there's a lot of environments that because you know they're to the point where this class is only available online. And so getting you know institutions to see support from a holistic perspective, all the way from when the student comes to them and starts asking questions before even enrolling or even um, applying at that institution to um, you know explaining to them at the advising level what online education is and then supporting that with tutorials and support materials on the technology aspect of it to the real you know realities of supporting them in the classroom, not just facilitation, but um, technical and academic support. Um, and I think that's a real um, deficit right now. That and, and institutions are finally starting to realize that they have to look at online education as a holistic component, not just sending students to a virtual classroom and it works out themselves. I was trying to find a link to an article that I just read recently. Um, it came from a, a Minnesota newspaper, I think, about questioning the quality of K-12 online education. And I was going to use that to frame what I was going to say, but I can't find it right now. So um, what I would say in terms of pros and cons is that Having access to education online for K-12 kids, especially for your uh, homeschooled, more mature learners, it opens up a world for them that they may not have access to otherwise. Or for a rural student who tends to be gifted in math, but they don't have a calculus course at their, at their home school, then they could have access to those kinds of opportunities because of online delivery. And I think that's clearly um, something that, yeah, that, that looks familiar. Thank you, Michael. Um, I, but um, I, I also have a concern that the, the, I don't know how to say it grammatically correct, the area that's growing fastest is credit recovery. So kids who d didn't pass a traditional class are now looking at the online environment as their last opportunity. And I think you have to look at why they didn't pass the class in the first place and whether it was a motivational issue or, or some kinds of discipline issues that are going to come online in the same way that they would show up in traditional education. For the really young student who cannot yet read, um, online education is another alternative to homeschooling, but they have to have an adult on site who's helping them with the curriculum. And they might be doing a lot of workbook kinds of activities. And it's awfully hard to compare that kind of learning to the constructivist environment that, that you can get with mature high school students. Um, so you know, we're kind of all over the map on that one. Do do certain kinds of courses or certain subjects lend themselves better to online learning, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous? I think so. Um, I, I, Kevin might disagree with me, but I still think, for instance, learning math 
without having a direct tutor for me would be impossible. I really need someone to be live and writing on the board and then having me try it. And the tools are available to make that happen. Um, not at every institution, though. So um, I, those that require more conceptual thinking, I think, lend themselves really well to the kinds of online. Um, well, you could do it synchronously, synchronously Michael, um, but, I, but I don't think that we've had enough time in the business of learning to get everyone trained to look at it that way. I think also, Susan, um, you were starting to point out too, kind of uh, touching on um, uh, learning styles. And I think, you know, for you, uh, learning that specific topic is difficult online. And I think that plays a lot into it. And, you know, um, I have very specific things that I don't want to um, learn online. You know, Susan's in the chat talking about piano lessons. Now, you know, um, my partner actually is learning the guitar online. And he's watching YouTube videos, and he's um, you know learning about notes. He's completely doing it virtually, and I applaud him. I could never do that. Um, I would not be able to um, actually learn how to play the music. Um, but could I learn how to um, program in a different language online? Absolutely. Even though that's a hands-on thing as well. Um, it's based on my own learning style that I could, you know, learn how to program, which is more kind of theory. And, and Susan kind of touching on that too. She can learn the theory of music online, but not the actual how-to. Um, but learning theory plays, you know, a big part. Uh, our learning preferences. And I'm a kinesthetic learner. I like hands-on, and that. But you know, how many of us want to hear that our you know our doctor who's about to perform surgery on us um, learned how to perform surgery online? Um, that's a little bit on the scary side. Um, now, does that mean that that same that same doctor couldn't have learned theory and terminology online? Absolutely not. That's a perfect environment. Um, auto mechanics. Yes, there's a great number of videos, a great number of um, you know flash files that uh, allow you to simulate um, being an auto mechanic. But you know um, it, that could get into being an expensive learning experience when you take that and you go try to do it in your garage when your computer's not right next to you and you can't reference what the video just showed you. Um, so there, I think. You know, there are some things that we do have to consider, but I also am very open-minded. Give me a problem and I will be very open-minded in seeing what we can do and what solutions we can come up with, including distance solutions to um, almost any learning problem. So a little bit of a theme that I'm hearing there, and, and I'll propose that you tell me if, if it's accurate, is that part of what's happening in online education is it's providing the opportunity for more differentiation and individualization of the educational experience. Because even as you're trying to define what works well or what doesn't necessarily, and then kind of rethinking that based on the learning style of the learner, 
very much the foundation of that is this sense of we can do it differently for different people. Is, is that coming through? Absolutely. And, um, and I think um, Michael touched on this earlier that you can do that not only online but in face-to-face. -face. But for example, in my online classes, I might give a project on interviewing a professional in the field. So I want them to get that experience and I think pedagogically everybody understands why you might have them do that, especially in an intro course. Go out, interview somebody in the field. Well, in my class, you can do that in one of three ways. You can interview and write an essay about the, the experience. You could interview using audio and share that online. Or if you're technically skilled and motivated enough, you could even in, um, videotape that interview and submit it that way. And that same assignment, getting this, meeting the same pedagogical uh, goals and objectives can be done in a variety of ways. Now, when doing it online, you have to be able to be prepared to help students technically on how to do that or, you know, make, make it clear that they're responsible for it, one of the two, um, and there are some challenges, but you can reach multiple um, learning styles in the online environment. And I would add that that also works to the instructor's advantage as well. I'm thinking of an incident that happened in my own class this week where I thought, oh, this is going to be so hard to explain to this person. And so instead, I took their text. They were writing instructional objectives, of all things. And I copied and pasted them into a document and then created a little jing where I deconstructed and reconstructed in front of their eyes. And the movement of the text and the voice with it all of a sudden made light bulbs go on. And um, sometimes I think um, we have to recognize what, what we can do differently. And differentiation is a, a great K-12 people have a different understanding of that, but it's influencing positively those of us who work in higher ed, too, in terms of offering instruction in different ways. Okay, so um, this is really fun for me, and I'm really glad that we're kind of going in these directions. Um, you talk in the book about the dynamics of online learning and how uh, just because you're online doesn't mean that you don't have different kinds of people or personalities. You don't have to deal with uh, different kind of interactions, some of which might even be mean. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what, what, what is and what is not unique to the online environment? There are people who um, are over posters and they're just like the people who are constantly speaking up in class and trying to get too much attention. There are emotionally needy people who want everybody to comment on them and feel slighted when they don't. Um, there are wallflowers who have brilliant ideas, but they need to be encouraged and nurtured. Um, Kevin, what are some of the other kinds? There are those that are full of excuses, <laughs> that no matter what, they're not going to be on time. Exactly. It, you know, I just, it's so funny, the, we've, we've switched from the dog ate my homework to, you didn't get my email? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, every type that you meet in a traditional class, they come to online class. And the students recognize that. Now the nice thing is that those 
you can't see other people rolling their eyes. And so there is uh, hopefully a little more of a decorum and of respect um, and maybe an acceptance of some of our oddities. I do want to say too, um, because I'm also, uh, I know I, told, I mentioned my doctorate program, but I don't know if I actually mentioned that my doctorate program is online. And so um, I'm a student online as well, and I have met some of the most amazing people that are learning to be, you know, lifelong friends of mine through, you know, distance learning. And so um, not only do you have those students that um, post too much or are full of excuses, but you have some of the most amazing, brilliant minds that come through and have amazing experiences because they've worked in the, the field that, you know, and they're, um, they've been there for years and they have just so much to share uh, with the class. So you get all sorts of personalities and I am really, really, really glad um, to have that diversity in class and to be able to share that um, with my, or have, you know, have my students share that with me and also have uh, other students share it with me when I'm a student. And it, it just has been a wonderful experience and I can honestly say that I know my online peers better than I've ever known my face-to-face -face peers. Yeah, there's, a, there's a whole fascinating sort of discussion about uh, how we get to know people. And I'm very curious about this because I feel as though uh, oftentimes this is a better, the online medium is better for meeting other people because you're not faced with, with oftentimes the physical distractions and you can kind of get to know someone intellectually uh, through an online forum without um, thinking about that they look like someone that you didn't like 10 years ago or, or whatever it is. Um, and many people kind of push back on that. But I often will say, well, it reminds me of how uh, romances were built over letter writing, uh, you know, when someone was off at war. And clearly this is a, a, the medium doesn't mean that there aren't really significant interactions that can take place. So sort of with that in mind, um, are there negatives to online education that you hear that you say, yes, that's something to be careful of? What, what, what are the, the potential downsides that you would want to say, yes, those are things to, to be thinking about? For me, the, the biggest downside to online education is um, if you are a student who is not familiar with technology, um, there, you know, online education, there's a, there's a learning curve. And I think if you are, you know, that's why in the book we tell you what questions to ask when looking at institutions because you want to know what kind of learning curve it's going to be because you're already going to have the pressures of academics on you of meeting deadlines, doing your homework, understanding the curriculum from an intellectual perspective. And then to have the pressures of having to learn new technology tools, how to interact in these environments on top of that is a lot of pressure. And so you want to make sure that you're prepared for that, that you've gone through appropriate orientations. I know students just sigh and complain about orientations if they're required. I think they're fabulous. Research shows that students are more successful if they go through an orientation. 
Um, but that can be a real downside if you're not prepared because not only then do you have the pressures of the academics, but then you're frustrated because you can't focus on academics because you're too busy focusing on the learning curve of learning the technology. Susan, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I thought of two things. Um, one is uh, when looking for a program, I think the student that conceptually most courses ask for a lot of interaction. That's how people what it is that they're learning. If you don't have the time or the interact with other people in that way, then that kind of program isn't for you. Likewise, if you are a social person looking for that and you get into a program that is nothing more self-paced learning, your expectations are not going to be met. So you you carefully select the kind of program that you're going to Susan, I think you may need to tweak your microphone up just a bit. I'm uh, okay, you're sorry. cutting in and out for me. That's okay. I think it just uh, went down just for a second. All right. So um, I, I think that if you're not careful about researching the kind of program that's going to meet your satisfied. Other thing is that, um, and I don't think it's more online, I think that there is a culture that allows for cheating whether it's plagiarism or opening the book when you're taking a test or and and that is a reality that I think we can, and the best thing that Kevin and I teach people is try to come up with assignments that are cheat proof but that's a criticism that we hear about and we do acknowledge that sometimes that happens unfortunately Okay, so we only have a few minutes left. If anybody in the chat wants to ask a question, please feel free to raise your hand. I'm going to keep asking until you do so. Um, you do in the ten, in, you know, the the section of tens. What's it called? The uh, darn it, I can't remember. In the book, the, the part of tens. The part the of tens. Uh, you mentioned specifically uh, Kaplan, and do you mention Phoenix as well? Yeah, I think we do. So. Um, I've sort of I've loved the commercials and the print ads uh, for both institutions, but I've sort of put them in a category of not taking them seriously. Have I made a mistake there? I think you may have. I think if you talk to people who are engaged in some of their programs, that they will tell you that they are very demanding, they are expertly facilitated, and that the student felt that they got their money's worth. That's and, really good news. And they're big, you know, they're big. They have tons of resources in terms of faculty development. I have to say that um, I was recently part of a, a new online initiative where we did a lot of research. And um, the president of our organization actually met with them. And something that a lot of people may not realize that we learned was Phoenix is, I think, the only university in the U.S. that is actually accredited by all regional accrediting bodies. Um, so they have gone through, you know, the, the multiple regional accrediting bodies in order to be able to, um, uh, you know, be a reputable organization in, um, in the U.S. Sounds like I need to interview someone from those two organizations. 
okay, give me your, I understand this is personal, and again, uh, there's there's no uh, intent here to promote Illuminate because uh, while Illuminate is my employer and, and sponsor of the, the show, there, there's, um, the questions aren't asked for this reason. But, but give me your personal impressions of the tools that you like best. Uh, and, and first, maybe starting with the uh, asynchronous. Moodle, Blackboard, Angel, what, what do each of you prefer? Um, I'm currently sold on D2L because it allows me to do a lot of different things. And in terms of synchronous tools, I use um, Adobe Connect Pro as well as Illuminate. For class purposes, I think Illuminate wins hands down because I can do more um, more easily and the students have a little easier time getting in and getting set up. For, um, for me, I think it, has, it depends on what the job is. I am a huge fan of Moodle. Um, but unfortunately, you know, for an entire campus program with multiple departments and, you know, a lot of those really, really um, uh, security kind of issues and separating and multiple user types and stuff like that, um, I'm also a, a fan of B2L for uh, the bigger production. Um, and for synchronous, uh, for me, uh, I, I too, like Susan, we, we kind of work in the same circles. We both use Illuminate, Skype, and Adobe. And uh, for classroom work, I love um, Illuminate. For one-on-one -on -one meetings that are quick, including conference calls, that I don't need to be sharing screens and stuff like that, um, you know, uh, Skype, Google Talk, those kind of tools. Um, and uh, you know, the, I try to work for with those that are free, um, especially as a new company. Um, and uh, let me tell you, I love my view room. Yeah, I really. Uh, uh, again, a question was asked uh, with the desire for full candor. I, I do love the view room as well, and I'm I'm trying to convince the powers that illuminate to just promote that as a an office hours free deal just so more people would know they can actually, at no cost, get in and use it. Because I would imagine it can only benefit Illuminate to get wider publicity. Because, I, you know, parent-teacher conferences, all of the kinds of things that could be done uh, to me are marvelous. But I don't know Adobe uh, or WebEx well enough to know if they have comparable products. Okay, so we are getting close to the top of the hour. Uh, I do want to uh, quickly um, give thanks to Illuminate Learn Central, to C. Bloom and Associates, Charlene Bloom, who's provided um, uh, some funding that helps me buy the book. But in this case, our guests were kind enough to actually send me a book, and that was most appreciated. I'm going to leave the schedule of upcoming events up on the screen. Um, Susan, did you want to give a plug for the Learning Times conference? Well, I would. There are actually two coming up, but the first one is in March, and it's the International Online Conference. And Kevin's put the URL up there. Um, wonderful lineup of live speakers and I think almost 50 poster events as well. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is TCC coming up in April. And yes, this is the IOC, Michael. That's it. Kevin, are you offering to do a raffle t for tonight's group? 
I am. Let's have wow. a little fun. What I'm going to do <laughs> is um, I've written, there are 11 of you in the room, and I've written down a number between 1 and 11. And so what I want you to do is, um, don't do it yet, because I want to make sure everybody knows where it is at. But I want everybody to raise their hand. And let's do a practice round to make sure everybody knows where it's at. The hand with the green upward pointing arrow, um, everybody raise your hand. Um, so I know that we know everybody knows where it's at. It's all the way on the left uh, below your name. Um, it's by the, the smiley face. It's to the left of the smiley face. So uh, if everybody could click that, make sure we got a fair you know, go at this raffle here. Um, all right, so it looks like everybody's got the button. I'm going to clear. And what I'm going to do is when I say go, I want everybody to click that button. And whoever has the number that I have written down um, can send me their information, and we will send you a book. So on your marks, get set, go. Okay, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but Mukesh, did I say it even close? Um, I'm going to give you my email address in the box. And if you could email me your contact information, we'll make sure you get a book, because number six was the number I had written down. Congratulations. What if Mukesh lives in Nepal? Um, I can order it probably from <laughs> Amazon directly and have it shipped. <laughs> How fun. Okay, I want to thank you both for coming. I'm clapping for you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I really enjoyed the book. And, uh, and of course, it's more of a reference book. But uh, having interviewed uh, Elizabeth Canna and Lisa Gillis um, and have looked at their virtual schooling book, I think this is um, uh, sort of nicely organized as a, as a complement, sort of a different kind of a book and much more of a reference guide, which I, I really enjoyed. I liked the organization of the book and your ability to look through and find the information you wanted. I'm really hoping it's a big success for you. Um, and um, really appreciate your taking the time to come on and participate. The recordings for tonight's show will be up uh, later tonight and tomorrow, and they'll be in the podcast stream. Um, and Susan, Kevin, any last words as we say goodnight? Oh, I just want to thank you for having us. This was really great fun. And when you finish reading your book, Steve, pass it on to somebody you know who's going back to school. Well, I yeah, have I read it. I spent a good portion of today reading it, so I will pass it along. And that's a good suggestion. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. We appreciate you spending time with us. We know you have busy schedules. Uh, hope it was helpful. Have a great evening. Thank you both. Thanks, everyone. As you close the Illuminate session, a survey will come up. If you can fill it out, it sure helps us to know how we're doing and what kind of sessions you'd like in the future. And we'll look forward to seeing you another time. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Susan.